college football's brand new alliance, the ACC, Big Ten, and Pac-12 have joined forces to combat the SEC's ever-growing power. Two weeks down, one to go. My impressions of the QBs through the NFL preseason and why the Saints and the Patriots are more similar than you may think. My name's Grayson Mann. This is the Man with the Plan podcast. Whoever is listening, welcome back. My name is Grayson Man. This is the Man with the Plan podcast, episode 47. Guys, as always, thank you so much for the support. You continue to pour on the podcast. It means so much. This is actually our first episode in a while where we're doing just you and me talking, having a kind of like a conversation. We've done some great interviews with Chad Smith and legendary strength coach Al Miller. If you haven't checked those out, I suggest you do. They're on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We are in a lot of places. It's really great. Super blessed and as always, super thankful. So what do we have today? There's a lot of stuff going on. College football has made a brand new alliance. The preseason is super close to wrapping up. The NFL and college season are closer than we expect. It feels like it's catching up on us. The greatest time of sports is finally coming back. I am super excited. Week zero is actually this weekend. UCLA plays. I believe some other big schools are playing too, but I need to check on that. We'll talk about that if you guys want. We're going to actually start with the college football world. It's ever-changing. So back when Texas and Oklahoma, the rumors of them joining the SEC, it felt like a vacuum had started to come across college football. Like the SEC had this surge of power that was sur- like flowing through them. And the SEC is, without a doubt, the most dominant conference in college football. And I know that this ranges on all sports, this covers all sports with these moves, but football in my mind is going to come first for this podcast and always will, so we're going to examine it through those lens, through that level. I thought the move was strange, I thought it was weird, and I really never got to talk about it because we had those interviews, we had stuff, I was moving in. It's crazy. Texas and Oklahoma, as for me growing up, have always been Big 12 teams. They've always been teams exactly square down in the middle of the country, Not really SEC material. Texas really struggling to find their identity since 2005. Oklahoma, a school that could compete, but felt like there were too much finesse and not enough toughness for what the SEC represents and what they are as a true conference. That just means more physical football, NFL kids through the seventh round. It's just crazy stuff. So I hear a couple weeks ago that the ACC, Ohio State and the Big Ten and the Pac-12 were like, all right, well... You can't do that, so we're going to get even. And I was like, oh, this is weird. What's what's going on with that? So they call it the Alliance. So the ACC, Big Ten, and the Pac-12 have joined forces like the Justice League or the Avengers. This is like combining my two things, like nerds, superheroes, and, uh, <laughs> and college sports. But So they've joined forces, and it's crazy because usually you first think of an alliance, you're like, wait, are they like merging conferences? Are they coming together and just being like, the SEC, you're not going to stand in our way. We're going to be a unified front. So I was thinking, what were the pros and what were the cons? So obviously what it means, they're combating the SEC. They're trying to be unified in case there's a big giant vote, scheduling. Maybe they'll do what they did in basketball, ACC Big Ten challenges. Imagine if Clemson and Ohio State played opening week, their beef that they've had the last couple years. And that's also why I want to get into in a second why Ohio State and Clemson specifically and what's been going on the last couple of years, or almost the last couple of years with COVID, makes me hesitant on how this is all going to work out because there's no 
written contract. There's no pen and paper to this. It's pretty much a promise ring of we're really just going to stick together. We're going to be best friends. And the enemy of my enemy is my friend. I want to closely examine Ohio State and Clemson for a second. So we all know that Dabo Sweeney and Ohio State had a little bit of a before. Ever since the Fiesta Bowl, it's been very contentious between the two schools. Ohio State believes that the refs paid a big, paved a big way for Clemson to go to the 2020 National Championship with the controversial targeting call on Trevor Lawrence and the Justin Ross no call on the fumble. That led to an Ohio State score anyways, but in an Justin Fields interception to close the Fiesta Bowl, one of the greatest college football games in my mind. And last year, with Ohio State only playing seven games, with Clemson playing a normal schedule, I think the bigger picture with this is that the conferences couldn't even agree on how to settle things with COVID. And what I mean is Ohio State and the Pac-12, they didn't really start until about September, October, when August, late August and early September, the ACC and the SEC were all for playing sports. They were all for playing football in the fall. And the Big Ten and the Pac-12 were a little more hesitant than most conferences. So why these three conferences paired, I feel like it's obvious because the Big 12, in my mind, is going to be in shambles soon. A lot of teams are looking to get out, and maybe this is just their way of jumping on it early so they can form a united front. I think another thing that is really to take a look at, to take a look at is that there's not a unified voice within college football. In the NFL, you have Roger Goodell. In the NBA, you have Adam Silver. In the MLB, you have Rob Manfred. In the UFC, you have Dana White. And these guys are key in making sure everything flows, making sure that nothing seriously bad takes place where teams start to revolt or teams start to strike out or just basically they're there to survey the industry and the business that they're running. And the NCAA more and more has become a business with the players being monetized for their likeness under that NCAA logo and that brand. They are allowed to be able to reach out and start to make money. So it's more and more of a business that we look at it. And there's not a unified voice. There's five conferences that dominate the conversation. And all five conferences want something different. The SEC wants more money. I'm not making like generalizations about these conferences. But the way they were ran, especially last year with COVID, it was so different. It was so jarring from each different thing. They're all from different regions. They're all different people. There's not a unifying voice to really corral them all and be able to agree on certain situations. So this is why the alliance makes me a little hesitant. It's not to like beat the SEC out of revenue because the SEC is going to earn a ton of money regardless of what they do. And then when they add Oklahoma and Texas, who are big programs and big names in the college world, they're going to be fine. It's not a matter of money. It's a matter of trying to find how do we combat the trend, the growth of the SEC. It's going to be something really interesting to look at, but also something really exciting. I'm really looking forward to how this college season plays out. Because we're going to have a playoff changing soon. We're going to have players making money for their likeness. College football is ever-changing. And just get ready and buckle up because it's going to get wild in a couple years. Okay. The NFL preseason, usually something that I never feel like I'd ever talk about as a podcaster. Because the preseason is pretty null. It's not very... To the average fan, it's like it's the preseason. I'll watch like a drive or two and then turn the TV off. But I want to go through the QBs because... Especially through every class, you have a group of guys who either show up out of nowhere, who've been touted since they've been like 18 years old, that they're going to be the next big thing for their NFL franchise. And we had five in the first round. We had Trevor Lawrence, we had Justin Fields, we had Zach Wilson, we had Matt Jones, and, well, 
We had everything. We had Justin Fields, Mac Jones, Trevor Lawrence, Trey Lance. We had all these stars, these studs. I want to go through all five of them. I want to see how they do, how they've done, and really examine the QBs, their starting QB battle, their games, their play. I really love to take a look at this stuff, and then we're going to take a short break. So let's just start with the one that needs the most work, Trey Lance. So usually when you spend a year out of a sport or an activity, you're pretty rusty. And so Trey Lance, he's come in two games of action, and he's had some big plays. The potential's all there for him. But I feel like for Lance, the 49ers took a big risk because you got a guy who spent a year out of football, and we're seeing this with Jamar Chase too, who struggled to make plays in camp. People have said he struggled to make separation. Hasn't had the strongest preseason so far against like the twos and the threes where he should be dominating. But these guys both had a year out of college football. One because North Dakota State couldn't schedule any games. One because he didn't. He decided not to play. The talent's all there. It's just a matter of him putting it all together, making it all cohesive and consistent. I think the 49ers don't necessarily have a problem because Garoppolo will be solid. I think it's keeping Garoppolo confident. Garoppolo is a quarterback that took them to the Super Bowl, and then two years later they draft his replacement. So we're going to see how that plays out. I think Trey Lance struggles sometimes with his accuracy. I think it, it the, And it's tough with Trey Lance because I haven't seen him with the ones. I haven't seen when the line actually protects for him because the pocket breaks down a lot for these guys. You're going to see them playing with second string and third string linemen. Most of them won't be on the roster in three weeks, and they're struggling to be able to make reads in a clean pocket. So there's that other aspect where you can't really judge too much because, well, it's preseason, but at the same time, they're not playing with the guys they're going to eventually be playing with should they be the franchise savior. So does Trey Lance need some work? Yes. Do all these QBs need some work? Absolutely. They can't all be perfect. But I think Trey Lance will benefit the most from sitting out for a year with a quarterback as competent as Garoppolo when healthy. Garoppolo can win games, he can do things, make good decisions, take care of the football. I think Trey Lance needs the most work, but he excites me for what San Francisco has laid out for him. I want to talk now about Trevor Lawrence, and Trevor Lawrence doesn't scare me because of Trevor Lawrence's talent. It's all there. He looks the part. It's just not his team. So I was watching the Monday Night Football broadcast of the Saints and the Jaguars, and they kept going about this certain point. They were like, yeah, so Trevor Lawrence is in a unique spot. He's running in two separate offenses, basically. Urban Meyer coming from the spread offense in Ohio State, and then you have the coordinator from the Lions who wants to run more of a pro-style offense by the numbers, making those reads. And I was talking to my dad on the phone about this, and he says, you know, you can usually, in that kind of spread offense, you can beat, you can have talent, and it doesn't really matter what your scheme is because your player is going to be so dominant that it doesn't matter. In the NFL, that's not really going to work because everybody's pretty much on the same playing field. You have to make the X's and O's. And I was saying, yeah, that's because that's what makes Josh McDaniels in New England so special. I mean, they had Brady for all that time, but sometimes their best receiver was Julian Edelman, who's not Calvin Johnson, who's not Antonio Brown. But they made the scheme work. They made the X's and O's work out. And it makes me concerned as to how the Jaguars are going to run as an offense. Are they going to be constantly in battle of philosophy and Trevor Lawrence is going to have to make it work on his own? I think that Lawrence has got all the, the skills. We've seen this since he's been a freshman at Clemson. We've seen it since he's been at Cartersville, Georgia. He's going to be fine. It's how does Urban Meyer adjust to the NFL? And I've said before on the podcast, we have to give him time to learn to be an NFL coach. But how long are we going to be willing to give him? Six weeks? A year? Three years? 
and then the news with ETN. ETN, who was going to be a great counterback, he was going to be a great pace back for James Robinson, who's going to obviously be the number one, taking all those reps. How does it all work out in the end? They need to figure out ways to get the ball out quicker. I think Lawrence is guilty of holding onto the ball for too long, but I think they did good as making some adjustments where they roll him out of the pocket and let him make throws that he's capable of making because he's the number one pick in the draft. He's been the established number one pick since he beat Bama his freshman year. I think that we get more looks with him. He's been officially named the QB1, so that battle, I use battle very lightly because I think we all knew that Trevor Lawrence was going to be the starting QB. It was just a matter of when he was going to be the starting QB. Because I think you want to be able to say that Gardner Minshew almost beat out the number one pick so you could get some trade value out of him. And I think Minshew's a good guy to have around in the locker room. He doesn't cause a lot of controversy. He's actually really funny. And he's talented. So he could be someone that could push Trevor Lawrence and to keep him on his toes as the number one pick, not to get like a big head or anything. I think Lawrence will be fine. The Jaguars are going to be super interesting to watch how they work this offense and this new dynamic with Urban Meyer. So Justin Fields, my big note says, get him with the ones. I think Fields is ready to start. I think Dalton's a great guy, great quarterback. But I think Chicago is such a just contentious media. Dalton's going to make one overthrow, and it's going to be over for him. Fans were booing him off the field for a preseason game. They were chanting Justin Fields' name, Justin, Justin. I think Justin Fields is probably one of the more mature quarterbacks of this draft. He said something about Andy Dalton. He was like, I want you guys to show some respect to him. He's the QB1 for now. I'm here to learn and make do my part for the team. Be respectful to him. He's a human being. I think him being able to read the room on a, like a social and mature level, I think it speaks volumes to what Chicago has as a QB. If you have someone that can read the room and be able to dissect what people need and what emotionally what they need, I think you could have a really great quarterback because it's not the X's and O's that Justin Fields is going to have a problem with. How is he going to fit in that Chicago locker room? I think he's been doing a really good job. If you can develop those relationships with your offensive line, your receivers, your coaches, I think that'll go a long way for Justin Fields as he tries to establish a quarterback room that hasn't really been that solid and has had a lot of mishits. You had Rex Grossman, you had Cutler who was fine but didn't win. You had Trubisky, we're Obviously, you know about Trubisky. Fields has got a lot of pressure to step up and be the QB, the quarterback that Chicago has been looking for to counter Aaron Rodgers and the Packers for so long. But I think Fields gets it. He processes the field well. He looks really good, and he has a lot of confidence to him, which is really going to be key for him moving forward. I think Fields will start probably week two, week three. I think Dalton's got a shorter leash than anyone could have ever imagined, and that QB1 tweet's going to be on freezing cold picks at any time. So we're going to go down to Zach Wilson, and I have, surprise, Zach Wilson's going to be good. The Jets are not. I think the Jets are going to be, I had a team that reminded me, yes, here it is, Watson on the Texans when he was a rookie. Watson was fantastic. If he had stayed healthy and not torn his ACL, probably would have run rookie of the year, could have been an MVP candidate with those numbers. Zach Wilson's going to be good. The Jets are just not yet. The Jets have talent. The Jets have an idea of what they want to be. But I think in a division with New England, with Buffalo, with Miami, it's going to be tough sledding. You're already in such a deep hole. You've had a lot of franchise, just a downward spiral. I think that Zach Wilson's going to be the guy for New York. I was really not sure about it at first, but after watching those two preseason games, he has a nice ball. He really has a really great awareness in the pocket when it starts to break down. He's not like Johnny Manziel, which a lot of people 
for some reason we're making that comparison where he just panics and then leaves the pocket. He's similar to a Trubisky and how he kind of popped up out of nowhere and then became a top pick just like that. So we'll see how it pans out. But I think Zach Wilson will be fine. It's just the Jets are going to be a project. And now we go to our final one with Mac Jones. I had challenging Cam. Mac Jones was unique. Another one where his senior year had 15 games to make an impression and was a top draft pick. Heisman candidate. Zach, not Zach Wilson, Mac Jones really has surprised me. I was really worried, especially coming from a Patriots guy, how is Mac Jones going to fill the shoes of what came before him? He's really dissecting the offense well. He's had a hell of a week where where Cam Newton's been out with a COVID misunderstanding where he couldn't be on the field. Mac Jones has taken all the ones, all the reps with the ones, and has looked really well. Yesterday, he went 35 for 40. This podcast is being recorded on Thursday, so Wednesday's practice, he was surgical against a starting defense that was top 15 in the NFL in the Giants. He's been consistent in his preseason games. He makes all the right reads, all the right throws. He's very professional. He has a chance to be the most accurate QB of the class. But I think it's going to be a matter of can he take that job soon enough. I don't think Mac Jones should start immediately. I think Cam is the clear, concise leader of the team. I think he brings the energy, the hype. A lot of those players really love Cam. I think it'd be jarring for some of those new signees if Cam Newton was all of a sudden benched. I think Cam Newton's got the capability to lead the Patriots to the playoffs. Mac Jones could easily sit a year like Lance, work on what he needs to work on, watch all the film, learn how to be a pro, and it could work out really well for him. It's just a matter of timing. I think that if Cam were to mess up, then Mac Jones could easily come in and take care of the offense, make good decisions, and just be a really efficient quarterback like Brady was in his early years. This team in New England is built to run the ball, be a power-running team, especially with Cam in there. He adds an element that Mac Jones doesn't, but Mac Jones adds the accuracy and that stability in the passing game. So we'll see how it goes. All these rookies look really promising. I can't really pick up the bust of the group yet like you usually can like a Rosen or a Trubisky, but I think it looks really good, and I'm really excited to see where this goes as we head into the final week of the preseason. All right, when I return, why me watching Jameis Winston on the Saints reminds me of the Patriots. This is the Man with the Plan podcast. We'll be right back. And we are back. This is the Man with the Plan podcast, episode 47. Guys, as always, thank you for the support you continue to pour on the podcast. So, like I said before, usually when I'm watching these preseason games, I'm watching them for the rookies, the new players on new teams, watching a couple drives, taking some mental notes, especially for this, and then calling it a night. But I was watching the Saints than the Jaguars, and I realized, oh, there's a QB battle on the other side of the field. And so Jameis Winston comes out, and I've seen all the memes, I've seen all the stuff with Winston. He's a very controversial guy, the crab legs, the W-eating, all and all of all of the interceptions. And Winston came out there and looked really sharp. And a lot of people are going to refute that as, well, dude, it was preseason. Grayson, it was the preseason. They weren't playing to their full strength. So I was really skeptical, but I really want to walk you guys through a throw that I really thought that was really fantastic. And in the future, if you guys go, Grayson, you're talking about a play, why don't you show it? Let me know, and I'll try to figure that out in the editing process. 
But I think Winston was really great with his anticipatory throws and really great at diagnosing what Jacksonville was running and being able to make solid throws to Antonio Callaway for two touchdowns. There was one where he threw a beautiful ball in double coverage over the safety and over the corner. There was one where the Jaguars were diagnosing a cover zero blitz. So all the corners had man and everybody was running at Winston. He was able to set his shoulders in the direction of the throw. It was a fade route to Callaway. And he took the hit. But before that, he was able to diagnose and say, yes, I have cover zero. I'm not going to panic. I'm a five-year veteran. I think six years now. I've seen, he goes, I've seen this before. He said the throws and makes an excellent ball to Callaway. And it's something that I believe Taysom Hill can offer because I think Hill's more of a gadget Swiss Army knife kind of guy that you really bring in for certain situations, not really as a full-time QB. I think Winston under Peyton is going to be really good. I think the Saints aren't going to win the division. But then it made me start to think, what do the Saints remind me of? Well, the Saints kind of remind me of New England. And I'm going to walk you guys through that as we wrap up the show. So Cam Newton and Jameis Winston are both quarterbacks who had quite controversy in college. You had Cam Newton with the computers. He transferred all over the place. You had Winston with the crab legs. Both were number one picks. And I'm not going to just use coincidences to compare this, but I really like to get into it. And why that week three matchup against the Patriots is going to be really interesting. Because both teams recently have come off of their Hall of Fame QBs. And the New England Patriots have had a little longer time to get adjusted to it. But Drew Brees has retired. The Saints are having to move on into a strange world where their Hall of Fame QB is not there anymore. That was a Super Bowl winner, a playoff winner. More than others, some more than others. 6-1, but we're 7-1 now, which is wild. And now both teams are struggling to find their identity. And New England struggled a lot last year, going 7-9 in a COVID year where Cam Newton was inconsistent. A lot of turnovers. I think the Saints and the Patriots have a lot in common because they have that shared identity. They have that shared cause where they have to turn on the, they have to turn on the gas 200, 202, 103. They got to put the car, I'm trying to use a car analogy like I'm a madman, like I'm some really great philosopher of some kind. But they really got to turn up the ante, and they got to find a new guy. And while the Patriots and the Saints necessarily did, the Patriots drafted Mac Jones, and the Saints went out and saw Taysom Hill. They kept him, they brought him back, and they got Jameis Winston. While I think Winston's going to be the starter, I think that New England and the Saints are very similar. They're going to be very similarly run. Because without Michael Thomas, I think the Saints are going to run in that lean on that running game like the Patriots will with Damien Harris and James White and Ramondre Stevenson, a new rookie at Oklahoma that's had a great preseason. The Saints will lean on a Malvin Kamara to be the, the tailback of tailbacks. Christian McCaffrey, the number one fantasy pick, to lead this offense and make Winston comfortable and make all the right throws. I think the Saints and the Patriots both have a division where they're not the top dog anymore. They've got the Bucks and the Bills to deal with now. And the Bucks and the Bills have emerged as Super Bowl favorites while they're kind of wild card hopefuls. I think both have top 10 defenses that are going to make a lot of plays and win them a lot of games most of the time because the quarterback sometimes won't be able to get it done because they're not the best, but they're competent. I think Cam Newton is not really as great of a thrower as Jameis, not anymore. But I think both, and week three will tell you a lot, how do they react to each other when they're very similar? Top 10 offensive lines, top 10 defenses. I'm really pumped for that matchup. I think Jameis Winston and Cam Newton both have a lot to prove this year. 
Jameis Winston sat the bench all year. Cam Newton was awful. They've both made some free agent acquisitions. They've built up through the draft. Two Hall of Fame coaches who don't want to hear the BS that they're out of the game because their quarterback's gone, especially Belichick. Don't tell Belichick Tom Brady made him who he is. He'll probably throw you in the fire. So a lot of great stuff coming to this NFL season, a lot of great storylines. And I'm really, really looking forward to being able to diagnose it, break it all down. I don't know how I'm going to fit into a schedule, but I'm probably going to try Sunday night or Monday to do a breakdown of both college and the NFL, just to let you know how things go. I'll be keeping you guys updated. We'll probably make one more podcast before the season officially starts. Might bring somebody back for a Georgia Clemson breakdown, but we'll keep y'all tuned for that. As always, thank you guys so much. This was episode 47 of the Man With The Plan podcast. Our first non-interview since, I think, a couple weeks. Pretty exciting stuff. Really, really pumped to see where this goes. Really pumped for the season. Support this podcast by subscribing, liking this video, or just leaving a comment and telling us what you want to see in the future. My name's Grayson Mann. Guys, thank you so much for the support. And as always, take care. (laughs) 